Welcome back to Behind the Wings, a podcast produced by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in Denver, Colorado. And we've got a lot to explore, you know, like usual. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, and up-close looks at iconic aircraft of the past, present, and future. Yes, indeed, it's time to go Behind the Wings. It's episode 17. We're so glad to have you along for the ride. Make sure you subscribe, by the way. And if you like the show, give us a rating or or share it with a friend. It's the best way for new people to discover the show, and we really do appreciate that. All right, now we're excited to take to the skies in today's episode, Exploring Pilot Pathways. I'm your host, Rick Crandall, and with me, as always, is Wings Over the Rockies President and CEO, John Barry. John, what do we have for folks today? Well, Rick, uh, we are going to be exploring how people navigate the path to becoming a pilot and get a behind the scenes or behind the wings. Look at what it takes to become a commercial pilot in the aviation industry. From the challenges and joys of flying to the extensive training process and the personal sacrifices that can be necessary to achieve that ultimate goal of a pilot certification. We will have two female guests on our show today in celebration of Women's History Month and Women in Aviation Week, which is coming up March 6th through the 12th. So come along as we celebrate. We'll start with Erica Armstrong. Erica is the author of A Chick in the Cockpit, a memoir where she tells her personal story as a woman in a male-dominated industry. Armstrong candidly writes about the obstacles she faced, including discrimination, harassment, and a lack of support from some of her male colleagues. She also shares personal stories of her triumphs and setbacks. There's a lot to learn in this episode for aspiring pilots or anyone who wants a sneak peek behind what it takes to fly commercially. So stick with us. This one is going to be cool. All right, let's get started. Erica Armstrong, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Erica Armstrong. You might uh, see me on social media as a chick in the cockpit. <laughs> um, so um, thanks for having me. I, I'm, I'm so glad you guys are doing a podcast like this so we can talk about aviation. You know, thank you. Thank you for that. It's uh, It's been, you know, now into our second season and, and gaining a lot of momentum. It's been fun. And for, for you, start off a little bit about, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit about this backwards, maybe. What is your favorite thing about flying? Um, so my favorite part of flying, I think when I first started flying, was just that that very vivid moment, the very first time I took off in an airplane without my flight instructor. That solo day when I looked over and saw that empty seatbelt hanging there and it was just me. Um, and so as I've moved through my career, through business aviation, up into the airline world, my joy has changed and those moments um, become more vivid. Um, I, I can still close my eyes and just picture that moment and the 727 sitting in the captain's seat, breaking out at the top of a cloud layer, a solid cloud layer, and then being able to level off. And then you actually get that feeling of speed. Um, and just that moment where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. Um, and just that appreciation <laughs> for how long it took to get there um, and that payback um, 
it's, you know, we could talk about it, but until you actually sit in that seat, uh, you never quite know that feeling, but uh, hopefully I can convey some of that to you. No, that's perfect. Well, we're off to a great start. I promise you that. I, I want to ask you about that view out the cockpit because, you know, having walked past the cockpit a bazillion times in my life, um, you know, and sat in, in, in one every now and on occasion, not very often. It doesn't seem like a great view, though. It's like, you don't, you know, because all of the instruments are in front of you, right, and the window's up above. And it to me, it just doesn't seem, but it must be. Oh, it is. Absolutely is. And actually, uh, that's what I liked about the 727. It has the old-fashioned um, windows up on top. They, they actually used to do celestial navigation. So those windows yep. are still up there. And actually, their windows are so expansive don't tell anybody but when the sun's out we usually put our charts up in the windows the old paper charts or something just to keep the sun out it's so brutal up there but uh no you're right i mean the especially like the training aircraft because you are in such high dense um you know working in the traffic patterns the visibility is a lot better um so the you know the, the faster the airplane the smaller the windows because you're always looking forward right <laughs> so yeah, but no there's yeah. no view like it in the world uh, i wouldn't trade it for anything so what I what I I really want you to share with people, you know, we've all had sparks in our life. We've all had that moment where it occurred to us this this is where I really want my life to be. This is this is the path that I want to be on. What was what was that moment that moment for you? You know, mine was a little bit different. I know most of my pilot friends they at a very young age knew that that's what they wanted to do, but I just never pictured myself being a pilot. So, you know, as a young girl growing up in the Midwest, I didn't know of any women pilots. I just, it didn't ever, I never had that tipping point where I actually thought this is something I could do. So when I was in college, I was working two jobs, but I still didn't have enough money to pay the rent. So I was looking for another job and I found a job at the airport simply because it had really crummy hours. Um, it fit into my schedule and that's the only reason why I took this job. And so I, I got into working on, you know, just the front desk and started being introduced into this whole new world of the sights and the sounds and the language and the smell even of, of aviation and just started understanding and learning about it. And in the evenings when all the suits went home, we called them, we all got to sit around and do the paperwork. But I would also hear the line guys talk about their flying stories and learning how to fly. Um, and they would be practicing for the written exams and they'd ask me to quiz them. And I started just quizzing them. And after just doing that a few times, I just started grabbing the concept that um, everything I was asking them, I understood myself. And so there was just that mo one moment where I'm working with my peers thinking that they're not any smarter than I am. <laughs> um, and if they can do it, I can do it. And it was just enough to make me walk next door and just take the first flight lesson. Um, and after I took that first lesson, you know, if you take a discovery flight, they'll let you fly the airplane. And it's just that shift of perception of yourself when you're actually, you know, grab the yoke of that airplane and you're doing it and you're like, okay, um, I'm going to eat the elephant one scoop at a time and I can do this. And so um, for me, it was that first flight lesson and that just that moment to make me get, get in the car and drive over to a flight school. Um, and from there, avi the aviation addiction will take you from there. <laughs> Now you're addicted and, and, and now you want to be a pilot and you're, you're starting on your pathways. Also, we all learn, like for me, I, I, I was a 
on the radio here in Denver for 30 years doing a morning show, um, and that career started in the Air Force. And, and I knew that was always what I wanted to do and had the opportunity to do it. But along the way, there are things that pop up unexpected, right? Every day in life has its own challenges, and careers are no different. What, what were there for you, like, specific challenges? Honestly, being in a, in a pretty male-dominated uh, field even today, what, what were some of those challenges you experienced? Yeah, you know, and they're all different in the different segments that I moved through. Um, for all pilots, men or women, the primary challenge is always going to be financial. It is just obnoxiously expensive to get your flight uh, training in. Um, and on top of that, earning a four-year degree. Um, even though I'm an aviation professor, I will mention that the majors now have dropped that requirement. But don't not get your degree. Um, seriously, I, I want you all to, to continue on and get that four-year degree, even if that means you do an online college, you do um, something maybe even part-time. Uh, I know a lot of people can't afford to do both at the same time. So, um, you know, right off the, the bat, that's going to be the primary challenge for all of us. And I, honestly, I don't know how I would have done it without having worked at the airport. Um, just having that network and connections and that insight. And, you know, I worked at a facility that, you know, that did repairs and MRO. So there was mechanics all the time saying, hey, we need to go up and test fly an airplane. And, hey, do you want to ride along? And all these opportunities that I would not normally have had. So anybody, you know, who have set their mind on wanting to do this, I highly recommend getting any kind of job you can at any airport. Um, being around it and making that network connection is, is just primary. There are so many opportunities to um, join an aviation group. Um, social media is very powerful and it's done a great job of offering a variety of things, especially for women in aviation. Just even 10 years ago, there, I just, there was no groups for women in aviation. Now there's a whole bunch of them and it's just a great platform to ask questions, share opinions, um, you know, talk about what job openings there are, and then talking about the challenges that you're having and having a whole group of people be able to offer up solutions for you instead of trying to work it through yourself. So, um, you know, as you each reach each challenge and they're gonna be different for everybody, don't let it stop you. There are other people that can help you around it or over it. Um, you know, reach out and, and find your people. Um, I know even in small little towns, there's a lot of aviation groups. So um, and if you have trouble finding one, just contact me and I'll get you set up with somebody. Um, in, you know, and hopefully among those that group, you'll find a mentor or two who will take you under your, their wing and kind of help guide you on whatever pathway you want to be on. I know a lot of the pilots that were in my classroom, they all started off thinking they want to be airline pilots. Um, and so one of my goals was to always educate them on all the other different um, pathways that you can take into business aviation. I mean, how cool is it to be out there flying that, you know, the highest, most sophisticated equipment out there um, to the best parts of the world. And so a lot of students for the first time, they think about business aviation and they, um, a lot of them go down that path and they never leave, or they sometimes go down the airline path and they decide after a few years, they're going to come back to the, uh, you know, charter world again. But there's so many opportunities and, and, you know, choices out there that didn't even exist 10 or 15 years ago. Specific challenges, obviously. We've had a whole lot of firsts with women in aviation as well, trailblazers, really. There's still a lot of 
progress to be made for pilots and, and really throughout the aviation industry because there's a lot of uh, teamwork involved in taking flight. You know, some of the statistics uh, in the United States, only about 7% of all pilots are women. That's according to the FAA. About 15.1% of all air traffic controllers in the U.S. are women. That's according to the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. Uh, women make up only 2% of all the aviation mechanics and technicians uh, in the United States, according to the Bureau of of uh, labor statistics. And if we look even further, uh, and globally only about 10% of aerospace engineers are women, there's still a wide open opportunity for a lot of women to jump in and get in the middle of this, aren't there? There is, that's the short answer. And I know it can be frustrating, um, but it, this kind of change, to be honest, is takes a generation or two. I know that my kids growing up don't think twice about seeing a woman in any position. So it does take time to get that word out there and doing podcasts like this and having those images come across a girl's face early in her lifetime certainly helps. But we talked about those tipping points, right? So if you can't imagine yourself doing it, um, you, you know, how, how are we going to do that? I think we still can do a lot better job of introducing the idea of aviation at a younger age. I think too often we maybe are catching women as they've already come out of high school, they're in college, they're already in another pathway. And I think by then it's it's too hard to, to take them off another path because there's so many other choices out there right now. So um, that's kind of one of the things that I've been focusing on is trying to just at least bring that idea, um, that image into the elementary schools so that it can click in somebody's brain saying, well, if she can do it, I certainly can do it. Um, but when I step back and look at all the changes that's happened, even since I started flying, I started flying in like 1989, um, it's significant. I, I really am proud of the community for doing what they have done. We have a long way to go, but I don't want any woman to come up to me and say they can't do it because they're a woman, because I will show you how to get through it. I don't want anyone to use it as an excuse anymore. Um, you know, I think we're all gonna admit that there are still some challenges out there. Um, even today, I saw an ad for a product coming out for, for a large um, industry, and they still said, um, for the guy in the cockpit, for the male in the cockpit. And, you know, so it's, it's those simple things like that, that you just think, oh my goodness, come on people. But, you know, we've, we've come so far, but yet there's still those big significant things you see out there. But um, yeah, just hang in there. Um, I see the numbers improving in business aviation, and that's kind of what feeds the airlines. Um, we're still at less than 1% of uh, airline captains are women. So that's another sector that uh, is hoping to grow. And once we get them up there, then that image will carry with every person that walks by that cockpit and sees that woman up there. So um, my kids growing up definitely see the world differently than, than we did growing up. Boy, that's the truth. So, all right, I'm going to call this uh, next question, friendly tips from Erica. So as you went through the journey, there were things that you learned along the way, little tips and advice, just steps along the way, things that, you know, were there things that as you were going along, you were thinking, really? I wasn't expecting that to be a part of this. <laughs> oh, lots of that. <laughs> lots of unexpected uh, things and the unglamorous part of being a pilot where you could spend eight hours just talking about all of that. Um, waking up in, at, in the middle of the night in a little shack in North Dakota, wondering what in the world you're doing out there, you know. Um, I, I, 
one of the things that my students don't understand is how to get those initial turbine hours, right? It's this, that's the hardest part is making that leap, right? You've got your 250 hour commercial certificate and now you're wondering how do you get those substantial hours? So one of the things I recommend is for, for people to start looking around at charter companies that have anything with a twin uh, turbine aircraft like a King Air. So that aircraft only requires one pilot, certified single pilot. So how do you legally log co-pilot time in an airplane that doesn't require you? Well, the FAA has um, operating specifications for, for a lot of charter companies that require that company to operate with somebody in the right seat. So you can legally log hours in the right seat. So that's an opportunity for somebody who doesn't have a whole ton of hours to get in the right seat. So a lot of the air ambulance companies, they want like a safety pilot over there, their operating specifications require it. So um, that's just a little inside information that maybe you hadn't thought of before, but just always keep an ear open for those local charter companies and air ambulance companies that operate twin turbine time. So here we go with pilots and co-pilots and the world is way different everywhere, including in airplanes in the last couple of years. And here you are in a world where you're you're on a long haul or or, or not, but you're stuck in the cockpit with a co-pilot and with crew, or lots of personalities. How is that playing out one in this day and age? And then how about some insights on on teamwork in those close confines? Oh, that's a great question. Um, crew resource management is a huge factor in everything. It's in the quality of your job. It's quality of safety. It all really does come down in the crew environment is how well do you work with people? Um, so it's really important for somebody to have self-evaluation as they move through their career to decide where they should be. Um, I just remember flying cargo in the middle of the night with somebody who said they don't function well at night. So yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> well, why are you there? Right. Um, you know, so, so be honest with yourself, understand your own personality and as it changes through, you know, your lifetime. But I, the one piece of advice that is kind of odd is for you to understand um, the humor of people. Um, if you can view every situation, every conflict you have with somebody else with your own set of filters that kind of blends it with humor, you can deal with almost anybody. Um, so truly it is a great um, experiment for the human behavior to lock people in the cockpit and put them in a stressful environment day after day after day. Because when you get to the airlines, you walk in that cockpit door and you most of the time you don't know the person that you're going to sit down next to and go fly an airplane. So it's the beauty of standard operating procedures. I love coming in to, especially when it was a three person cockpit. I love that watching a crew go through their checklist and I could, the ones that, that did it well, it was just beauty in motion. They, they understood each other. They understood what was needed and required. And it was just, wonderful to see that complicated flow happen easily. So, um, yep. And no matter what industry you're in, you are going to run into those jerks, right? There's right. nothing you can do. Yeah. I mean, I I'm sorry. And so it's a lot of times it's hard. Um, and I know for women too, to understand and differentiate that, you know, are they treating you like that because you're a woman or are they just jerks? And the answer is, you know, yes to both. Um, <laughs> right. so, you know, it, I've had, a few misogynists who it's not just a personality conf 
personality conflict, they actually would create a safety issue because of their inability to be emotionally mature about the situation. So when it comes to that point, um, you know, there, there's a variety of ways of handling the situation, but please reach out, um, at least get your peer group in there to help you out. Every situation yep. is unique. That's why you just can't give a blanket answer, but please do reach out. Um, and, and find a way around it because it does become a safety problem. Um, and if it does get to that point, um, other people need to be brought in on the situation. So, um, yeah, not an easy answer. But no, but a great answer. You know, we're just people at the end of the day and it kind of gets like that. Let me let me ask, looking back at it all, um, you know, what is it that you've learned not only about flying, but also about following a dream? That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'll just warn anybody who's entering into this aviation industry, it, you can have dark days. You will have dark days. I don't care who you are. You're going to have those weeks, months, and years where you're just like, why am I here? This is horrible. I mean, I've been laid off and furloughed. And, um, you know, every six months, your job is on the line with a medical exam and uh, check rides. And it's just a constant barrage of problems and issues. And, you know, that's the good and bad part of it. There's no two days that are the same. You know, there was a few moments in my career where I, I'm like, well, that's it. I just can't go any further. I just remember having about 800 hours and I just could not get a job. And this is, you know, many years ago when pilots were a dime a dozen and people were paying to sit in the right seat of an airplane. And so I just, you know, I started looking around for jobs outside of the industry. And I just remember sitting at an interview and they're going to make me an offer. And my heart just, I could feel it squeezing shut because this is not where I wanted to be. Um, and it took me to go step off that path to see how that felt. It drove me running back into the industry. I have not one moment of regret, even though a lot of those years and months were hard and lonely and dark. Um, it is such an incredible industry. Um, I promise you, if you can get through it, um, you're going to look back with uh, more smiles than tears. The industry's better for you having been a part of it. I can tell you that much. <laughs> well, listen, for those of you that have enjoyed this as much as I have, I can tell you that uh, a chick in the cockpit is is what you want to read. And if that just only gets you um, interested, then you can follow along with Erica Armstrong on LinkedIn, on Twitter, most of the major social networks. Go check her out. Erica Armstrong, thank you so much. Now, that brings us to the second half of our show. After hearing Erica's personal journey to become that chick in the cockpit, we're back with Valerie Bloom. Now, Val is the flight training supervisor at Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum, where she guides aspiring pilots on their own pathways to pilot certification. Val, welcome to the show. It's great having you here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Before we get to your insights into the pilot pathway, let's start with you telling us a bit about how you got started in your journey to become a pilot. So it all began on Google. I was in high school and I just flying an airline I hadn't been on before, thought I'd do some research and very quickly ended up, you know, airline, airline fleet, Boeing airplane company. And that was just a lost cause after that. <laughs> I was very lucky in that uh, the flight school that I went to was unfortunately no longer around, but I trained with the chief pilot directly, had a, just a wonderful time in my flight training here at Centennial Airport, went to pursue my degree in aviation and aerospace science from MSU Denver, and uh, was on the flight team out there, uh, competed nationally in a couple events, had a great time, 
worked briefly as a flight instructor at a big flight school up north. A little too big for me, so I ended up kind of settling more into my role at Wings of the Rockies, and I am full-time here, um, running our flight training scholarship program, flying one of our airplanes, and um, kind of helping with the general mission of, so you want to be a pilot, where do you start? How can we help? All right, Val. Well, that's interesting because we both know that uh, there is an incredible shortage of pilots in the aviation industry. Where do you see the opportunity for people who want to make a career in the industry? Well, the time is right. Um, there is a, a desperate shortage of not only pilots, but mechanics and really all positions in aviation right now. You've probably heard stories on the news about staff shortages at the airlines or had a flight delay because of it. And you know, people are hiring pilots left, right and sideways right now. But I just, I really want to emphasize that there's a huge diversity in your careers in aviation. I think a lot of people get stuck on, well, I could be a fighter pilot or I could be an airline pilot. And there is just so much in between fighter pilot, airline pilot, agricultural pilot, flight instructor, uh, corporate pilot. You could you know fly around somebody's CEO, make a lot of money flying a very nice airplane. Uh, it's a, it's a whole wide world of pilot careers, or for that matter, other aviation careers, whether that's mechanic or otherwise, there is a weird niche in this industry somewhere for you. Now, you've heard me say that. If anybody wants to get involved in aviation, they're never going to have to knock on somebody's door. People are going to be knocking on their door. That's the shortage that we're talking about. So this is a wonderful time for a young person to be involved in aviation. Well, let's talk about the nuts and bolts now. What are some of the key steps to becoming a pilot? So starting with that big picture, um, you're going to begin with the private pilot certificate. This enables you to fly an airplane, either one that you own or rent, and you're allowed to have passengers in it, and you're allowed to take it wherever you want as long as it's legal. <laughs> really, the big limitations are if you're just a private pilot, you're not going to be able to fly in any clouds or low visibility conditions, and you are not going to be able to make any money. So the next big step is going to be the instrument rating, which enables you to operate in those clouds, the low visibility conditions, whole new world of how frequently you can fly, where you can fly. To actually make that money, you need to be a commercial pilot, which is a minimum of 250 hours of flight time. Now, people hear commercial pilot and they go, ah, yes, airline pilot. Nope, that's a different thing. So commercial pilot enables you to make money, but they're entry-level positions. Um, things like sightseeing flights, dropping skydivers, towing banners for advertising company. So now that we've looked at the big picture, we'll zoom in on step one. Let's go back to the private pilot. Getting started is the hardest part. One of the best things you can do for yourself early on is to, to find a community. Another thing that you can do early on is start studying. There are tons of online resources. Some of them are paid courses, but they're really, really good. And there's also free content. Start with your government books that are for free online. You know, have a ball. Everybody's excited to go fly an airplane. Everybody wants to show up to the airport multiple days a week and go fly an airplane. If you can't commit to the ground portion and the books and the online course, and more books and a couple more books, <laughs> you're not gonna make it very far. So lots of flying, lots of reading. So Val, that was a great explanation. So you have seen many young people and really people of all ages of all walks of life who have the dream of becoming a pilot. I mean, it's never too late. 
I remember I've been uh, helping a, a woman who is 60 years old uh, get her pilot's license. For people who want to get that first exposure to aviation, though, to see if there's a spark or if this is something they want to dedicate their careers to, where can you start? My number one recommendation for anyone who's sort of aviation curious is to either join a flight club or find a local pilot organization because the best thing you can do for yourself is find a mentor. Somebody who's done the whole pilot thing and can give you the tips and tricks on the nuances of like what order should I do it in or some of the precursors to flight training like getting a medical exam or when do I want to take the written exam. It's going to be really helpful to have somebody around who has been through this rodeo once before and can give you their advice. There are a bazillion organizations to choose from and Wings Over the Rockies does do all kinds of aviation education. So kind of no matter what level you're at, if you're just kind of curious, does the pilot subject matter even interest me? Uh, we have an intro to ground school course. If you are committed and you want to learn all the nuts and bolts, you can take our complete private pilot ground school course and you know, sit down through 25, 30 hours worth of lecture and learn all the topics. If, if you want a flight experience to get in a small airplane for the first time, we can help you with that. And last but certainly not least, we do have a flight training scholarship program. It gets more competitive every year. Um, and at this point, they're youth scholarships, so we're ages 15 through 18. And we are going up currently to $12,000 for private pilot training in a single engine airplane, or $7,200 for private pilot training in a glider. And one of the things I'll just add too, for those who are listening to this that are outside Colorado, these are all benefits that we can provide to our young people here in Colorado. But if you become part of the Experimental Aircraft Association Young Eagles anywhere in the States, just Google that. But here's the real kicker. You get a free online ground school that's worth about $275 just by flying one flight in Young Eagles. Because it's beneficial more to the student who's like 12, 13, closer to 15 where you can take your written exam. So that's another benefit that's national. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, becoming a pilot is an expensive proposition and any tips on how to save money? Yeah, so the biggest things, you've already kind of heard me harp on study, read, find materials online, get an online course. And the reason why I keep circling back to this is because one-on-one -on -one instruction with a flight instructor is pretty expensive. Most schools, at least in our area, charge about $60 an hour for a flight instructor's time. So you do not, under any circumstances, want to be spoon-fed information by a flight instructor that you could have read in a book somewhere. So the students that are willing to do a bunch of studying on the front end and do the boring part first, maybe read the whole pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge, maybe take a whole online ground school, or take a ground school in a classroom setting that's going to be cheaper than one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and if you do those things up front, it's going to be much less expensive in the long run. And also, because you understand all of these things, when you actually get into the airplane, you're going to be focused on learning the maneuver. And you're not going to be distracted by having to go over, well, this is how this flight control works. And remember that when we enter a turn, this is what happens aerodynamically. You're going to have a much more efficient experience if you study up front. And then the other huge thing is so the instructor's one cost. The other cost is the airplane. Most people go through flight training renting airplanes. 
And it can be kind of easy to get lured into flying the fanciest airplane in the fleet because maybe that's what your flight instructor would rather be in is something more comfortable. Maybe the flight school wants to make a little more money by putting you in something really fancy. As a student pilot working on your first certificate, you don't need a top-of-the-line airplane. If you are on a budget and want to fly an inexpensive airplane, there's nothing wrong with that. Hop in that 172 that survived the Cold War and <laughs> fly on. Because um, we do have recurring maintenance in airplanes. So an old airplane is still a well-maintained airplane. Another thing we need to think about too is that, you know, if you fly one week and then you don't fly for three weeks, you have to relearn what you've done before. So it is again, it goes back to that persistence, uh, you know, point maintain a commitment to do this in short period of time as possible because the longer you stretch it out, the more money you're gonna spend. Yes, so much of flight training is going to be procedural and muscle memory that if you take three weeks out of the airplane, you're going to have to rebuild that whole skill set. If you can set aside the time to just fly like crazy over a shorter span of time, you're going to advance faster in fewer total flight hours and for less money. And something else that's worth considering is what airport are you flying out of? Like I learned to fly at Centennial and it was a great experience. You learn everything you could possibly learn, but it's a very busy airport and you're paying for the hour that the engine is running not the hour that the airplane is in the air. So if you are in line for takeoff behind five other training airplanes, three business jets and somebody's private warbird, <laughs> you're gonna pay the entire time you're sitting in line. So these are just things to be mindful of. So what are some of the common challenges that, that people have along the way? Do you have a, a tip specifically maybe for people or, or some pitfalls to avoid? You know, red flag kind of things to look out for. Flight training is booming right now and it's honestly a little more than a lot of the flight schools can handle. So we see problems very frequently with overbooking. Inconsistent instructors is another huge problem because a lot of flight instructors are using this as an interim job. So when flight instructors start to get really good and really experienced, they hit that 1500 hour mark and get shopped you know, by airlines and they run off to the next big thing. So it can be hard to keep a flight instructor. So that's another thing is on the front end, sit down with your flight instructor, how long do you think you'll be here? I'm probably, it's gonna take me probably a year at this rate. Are you still gonna be there at the end? Because if you change instructors three, four, five times before you even get your private certificate, things are gonna get missed and things are gonna get repeated and you're gonna end up having worse training for more money. So get one that you like, hold on and don't let go. So give us a sense that once someone is a pilot, you know, what is possible? It excite us about what the possibility is after you get your license slash certificate. So the, the biggest thing that I could possibly emphasize is that it's worth it. Um, committing to a career as a pilot is a lot like committing to a career as a doctor. There's going to be a ton of education and a ton of certifications and a ton of reading and a ton of rereading <laughs> and a lot of money. But when you're done, and you're sitting you know, in the seat of that airliner, you're very quickly advancing to a six-figure salary that only goes up from there. Um, so it's a lot of investment on the front end, 
but do think of it as that. It's an investment. There's a good career at the end of it. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's kind of wrap this thing up a little bit. Said, what advice do you give for aspiring pilots? There are a lot more opportunities than there used to be. So it is not out of the question that you can get a scholarship or a grant to at least help with part of your flight training or the whole new phenomena of airlines. They take people with no flight hours and will train you from nothing to airline pilots. So there are just so many more opportunities than there used to be. And if you are doing your flight training as part of your college degree, well, you're also eligible for all of those grants and things that you would apply for as your college degree. So you do have multiple options in terms of funding available. And at least at this point in history, the number of options only appears to be increasing. In terms of just general advice, the cost, the expense, the amount of study hours and the work that goes into it, just the one thing that I could really leave you with is just like stick with it. Because as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, you've got a really good career lined up ahead of you. And on top of that, you have a really fun career lined up ahead of you. You know, how often are you going to be looking down at thunderstorms? How often are you going to get a weird air traffic control instruction where you need to be wedged underneath an airliner and above a squadron of F-16s? <laughs> it's just, you never know what adventure you're going to get in aviation. So as difficult as it may be at times, or as costly as it may be, and as creative as you might end up getting to source all those different avenues of funding, it is just the best job or the best hobby, depending on how far you want to take it, that you could possibly have. Well, that's for true. You know, I think we both can agree. Right. Well, listen, thank you, Erica Armstrong and Valerie Bloom for joining us. That was really, really cool. You know, I, I think uh, from Valerie, John, I just, man, talk about somebody who is so dialed in and precise. And, you know, it, precision plays a pretty important role in, air, in aviation and everything about uh, Valerie is precise. I, you know, I wouldn't have a least bit hesitation getting in an airplane she's up in front of. What about you? And the real value of Val's comments was the fact that she can provide an insight to the next generation to the next group of people, men or women, young or old, you know, to be able to become a pilot. And I think Val did an excellent job in describing what it takes to become a pilot. And we have to do a better job of increasing the percentage afforded to all people, whether it be male or female, young or old, all the way across the board. And that's what our goal here at Wings of the Rockies is. Well, that's going to do it, folks, for Episode 17 of the Behind the Wings podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to visit wingsmuseum.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access the show notes. Now, we're going to be back soon with another episode of Behind the Wings. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. We may even read your review on an episode. Uh, apparently, that's a thing we're doing now. But really, it helps us a lot, and we appreciate it. And you know what? We'll We'll see you next time right here on Behind the Wings.